Welcome to Moadon Ibri, Club Hebrew. Good to see everybody here today. Um, we are continuing our story of, uh, well, actually right now it's the adventures of Saul, the fall of Saul, if you want to make a nice little poetic line out of things, which I like to do. Um, we are in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. And if you will remember, we just finished last week, we finished verse 45, in which Saul's troops actually had to re- had to rescue Saul's son Jonathan from Saul himself because uh, remember Jonathan had made the mistake of taking some honey uh, on the way uh, you know during the battle when Saul had given the order and put everyone under a curse not to do that and uh, Saul said you know I'll take the life even of my own son which in those verses remember 39 up to 45 became highly ironic the people were very quiet when he said that it says because they all knew what Jonathan had done and they cast the locks the lots finally fell on Jonathan, and Saul was ready to kill him until uh, the people actually intervened. And so you can kind of see here already a foreshadowing of how Saul's uh, reign is going to go. All right? So we actually are going to pick it up um, at verse 46. And one of the things you'll notice now, we, we kind of saw this, I think, especially back in chapter 13, but just notice how the kind of syntax goes here. Um, and the ordering of words. Uh, again, you'll see kind of a characteristic of this author of 1 Samuel uh, that he seems to use a more kind of colloquial style. Uh, it's not kind of a standard style, and you'll see that by the order of the words. All right? So when we go to verse 46, it's Vayal Shaul Me'acharei Pelishtim. And Saul went up from after the Philistines. Can you notice that that Vayal is from what root? Allah, to go up. It's a call in perfect vav consecutive from Allah. Uh, so Saul went up from after the Philistines. Upelishtim and the Philistines, halku limmekomam. And the Philistines went to their place. So they went back home for, I guess it became, you know, the harvest season. So they quit the, the campaigning for a while. So Saul went back to his place and the Philistines went back to theirs. Okay? Now notice... Um, Verse 47 doesn't start with the Vav consecutive. What you have here is a number of event reporting clauses, which um, in Hebrew style are when there's an event that's reported and it's not kind of followed up on or elaborated on very often, you will see that they start without Vav consecutives. All right? So notice how this goes in verse 47. Veshaul lakad ha-meluka al Yisrael. And I'll translate it very literally, and then when we get the whole verse done, you'll be able to see how the clauses fit together. And Saul had captured the Meluka, the kingship over Israel. Notice that that Lakad is kind of used in an interesting way. You usually think about it in terms of capture an enemy, see? But here it's capture the kingship. So most translations will just say, uh, and Saul got possession of or took uh, the kingship over Israel. All right? Uh, now he starts with the Vav consecutive. Vayilachem saviv bekol oivav. And he fought all around against all his enemies. So notice that the first clause almost functions as kind of a temporal clause. See, after Saul, now after Saul had captured or taken the kingship over Israel, comma, he fought all around against all his enemies. Notice that Yilachem is what conjugation? 
Nifal. Actually, the the call of this is very rare. It only occurs maybe once or twice. The nifal is the common conjugation, but it's not passive or uh, anything like that in meaning. It simply means to fight or to do battle or wage war against all his enemies. Now notice uh, he begins to go from all his enemies to break down the enemies. Ben Moab against Moab and against the uh, Bnei Ammon, against the Ammonites. Notice that when you uh, talk about the people of a country, you can either just use the country like he did before with the Philistines, so it can be either the land of Philistia or the Philistines, just like Egypt or the Egyptians. You can also use a gentilic, with it, which is, uh, would be like amonit, uh, you know, you have that E ending, or eat if it's feminine, or bene amon, and you would just, tra- and notice it becomes an idiom, you would just translate the Ammonites. See, and against Edom, Edom, and against the Malkate Zova, and against the kings of Zova, uh, and against the Pelish team. Okay? And the Koasher, and against all, um, and, uh, I'm sorry, you, you'd stop it there, and against the Philistines. Okay? And uh, in every place where Yivna, he turned, Yarshia, he. Well, notice Rasha means to be evil. Here's the hippial form of Rasha, which would mean to do evil. He would do bad stuff to him. He would, uh, I don't know, what, what, what do people do when they engage in war? He would, he would uh, wreak havoc, something like that. Kick butt, that's good. I like that. That's what he would do. All right? I want you to notice that the forms are... Uh, Imperfect forms. You see that? Yifna, Barashia. And notice that, uh, so that uh, what it indicates, I think, here uh, is a habitual situation. Remember in Hebrew when you're talking about a situation in the past that's not a specific event but talking about a habit, uh, the standard way to uh, uh, refer to it is with imperfects. All right? Um, so notice I translated them as simple past tenses in English because uh, simple past tense in certain contexts is either interpreted as a, as a specific event or habitual. See, You could also kind of make it more explicit, like wherever he would turn, he would kick butt. <laughs> I really like that. I'm going I'm to lobby for that. He was being Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's because they must take it from uh, Yasha. Yoshia, they must have a different reading. I didn't even check that here. Uh, hmm, that's weird. Yeah, you're right. He was saved. Yeah, so Sozato, he was being saved. Um, so they must have a different reading. Notice, too, the different functions of the bait. Notice how fast it switches, and you've got to really kind of look at how the Masoretes are arranging the text. So, for example... Uh, in front of all those countries, you would translate it as against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom. Then you got to pause, notice, after a Pelish team. And now notice the bait takes on a different meaning. And wherever, or in every place which. See, in all which. Uh, he would turn, he would uh, win the battle, win the fight. Yarshia, cause havoc. Okay? Um, any questions through verse 47? Okay. Now notice in verse 48, he, they start out with the Vav consecutive again. Vayas Chayel. 
Um, and he, now notice it's literally kind of he did power. But uh, you could translate this yaas more intransitively. And the chayel adverbally, he acted valiantly. Or he, you know, he acted powerfully. So notice you're getting kind of a better picture of Saul here. Vayak et Amalek. And he struck uh, Amalek. Notice that Vayak is from what root? Naka. Very good. There's that famous Naka. Right? It's the one that almost disappears completely. The whole root almost disappears when you put in the Vav consecutive. See, all you got is the final cough left. <laughs> I got a joke about that, but I won't tell it now. Uh, so he acted powerfully, and he struck Amalek. Vayatzel et Yisrael miyad shosehu. And he delivered. Another first nun verb. What's the root of Vayatzel? Vayatzel? Not solved. Notice it always occurs in the hip field. And he delivered Israel from the hand of uh, Shosehu. That's, uh, the root is Shin, Samik, He, Shasa. Uh, from the root of, of his, um, from the hand or from the power of his spoilers, the ones who were plundering, the ones who were spoiling. This is a call participle masculine singular plus a third masculine singular suffix. It's a mouthful for such a short word, right? And he delivered Israel from the power of his, namely Israel's, uh, oppressor, the one oppressing, the Shasaing one, okay? namely uh, Amalek and the other enemies. Okay? Um, good. Uh, any questions up through 48 about grammar, syntax, anything? Very good. 49. Va, uh, va yihyu b'nei Israel. Okay, now notice how um, the Masoretes put a zakef right after Shaul, so you kind of pause there. Now the children of Saul, Yihyu, were, and here they are, Yonatan, who's still among the living, luckily, the Yishvi, that's his other son, uh, U Malkishua, uh, that's his other son, okay, uh, notice the Atnach, the shame stay benotab, and the name of his two daughters. Okay, the shame shetay. Notice that's the word for two. And remember, numerals, um, especially after the number one, uh, from one through nine, can be uh, in construct form in connection with the noun. They can be in absolute form. Sometimes they come before. Sometimes they come after. So this is a typical kind of construction. You would just tr- simply translate it, his two benotav, his two daughters. Pause. Okay? So, and as for the name of his two daughters, shame, the name of the Bekira, you can bet that means firstborn, even if you don't know the word. Uh, notice it's a feminine. Bakir is the more common one you see, firstborn son. Here's Bekira. And the name of the firstborn, firstborn was Merav. Merav. Okay? And the name of the Ketana, the little one, was Mikal. A little foreshadowing there, because we know what happens. All right. The shame. Now, he's he's kind of given this genealogy stuff here. The shame, Eshet Shaul, and the name of the wife of Shaul was Ahinoam. Bat Ahimaaz, the daughter of Ahimaaz. <laughs> and the name of the Tsar 
Here's another kind of foreshadowing. He becomes a big player. And the name of the Sar Zebaot. And the name of the a head of his army. The general, five-star guy, was Aviner, Abner. Okay. Son of Nair. Well, notice, yeah, that's interesting. Son of Nair, Dode, uncle of Saul. So notice he was related. Just remember that. See, that kind of is interesting. They're all related. Yeah, David's, yeah, they're all related. You'll see. It's like Appalachia without the hills out there. <laughs> yeah, they're all related. Yeah, you yeah. keep the, the family closest to you. Yeah. Very right, you know. So would, would Abner be the uncle or would his father be the uncle? Uh, no, I got this written down, actually. And I did this for a reason. Um, when we get to the next verse, you'll see how this works. Okay, Verse 51, And Kish was the father of Saul, and Nair was the father of Abner, son of Aviel. So, um, Abiel was the grandfather of Saul. Abiel was the grandfather of Saul, and Abiel was the father of Kish and Nair. Okay? So Abner and Saul were cousins. Nair was his uncle. Is that right? I think that's how it all sorts out. Yeah. That's how it goes down there. So uh, they're kind of giving you all this genealogy, uh, and some of these names become important in the later narrative. And this is kind of, again, typical. You'll see, when you read a lot of Hebrew narrative, you'll see they'll introduce names, and you can bet that they're going to become important. They're going to kind of play out. And knowing you know, anything about what happens, Abner is kind of a pretty big player, isn't he? Remember, these guys were vicious. They didn't get to be head of the army for nothing. I mean, him and, remember, the other guy, Joab, on the other side, was uh, they were not nice guys, as you will see when we, as we get into this. Okay? Um, so just notice now how the narrator is uh, giving you a lot of information. He's kind of giving you uh, a summary of a number of events that he doesn't really elaborate on, notice. And uh, now from verse 49 on, we've kind of had uh, a little bit about Saul's genealogy and kind of... Uh, it's almost as if the narrator's gathering himself before he kind of goes on to the rest of the story, right? Does anyone have any questions through 51? Please. Yes. Um, no. I, something that really arrested me, the Masoretes arranging text, and you gave the example of the different ways book was used. Would you delineate? Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, what I would suggest yeah, is that the, the Masoretes put accent marks to help you organize the thoughts of the text, so that you can kind of decide, so that you can kind of decide um, how the uh, thoughts flow. Just think of it like periods and commas in English. You know, without those, there would be a lot of places where you wouldn't be sure what goes with what. So the Masoretes actually just remember the accents are already interpretation. Right. And I the verses meant, are even more so. I thought you yeah. were directly relating that to the use of the bait. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. It's helping you actually to organize your thoughts so that, so that to notice without that, you would tend to read the Bekol Asher back there as uh, another group of people. You know? So you actually have to kind of read on and you see, oh, that's not people. That's for, it, he actually kind of goes to a different uh, thought there. So which one of those little funky marks, Kim, is the Masoretic accent in question? Um, in verse... I don't remember what they are. Oh, in verse 47? Yeah. Yeah, notice the one right above Pelish team. That's a cave. It looks like a colon up there. Okay. Those are kind of the ones that uh, 
are minor pauses. Yeah. The atnaq, the carrots underneath, yeah. or the more major, those usually occur halfway in the verse. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, verse 52. Yeah. yeah, no, please. Yeah. There's, multi, there's other manuscripts that allow for an alternate um, spelling of Abner's name, but any thoughts on why um, oh, yeah. uh, they're spelled differently? Let's see but here. How many manuscripts have? Oh, um, uh, yeah, because Aviner versus... Um, it'd be interesting to see, first of all, well, if you, first of all, look at this. If you look at the Masora Parva, or yeah, Masora Parva. Notice there's a little circle above Abiner in the text. Mm-hmm. If you go out, that is to direct you to that Lamed, which is the Aramaic abbreviation for late, which means there is no other, which means that it seems to be spelled this way only here. So, uh, so whether it's just a tradition of this manuscript or not, I don't know. Um, so. It, as we go through it, let's look and see how consistent that is. So, who knows why that yod is there? Um, be, I don't know. Maybe we should do a word search and just see if they're right on that. If it occurs with the yod in it any other place, how consistent it is? But they're probably well, pretty right. Yeah. Well, you know, these <laughs> <laughs> guys. If you ever meet Mathers, you can imagine what kind of detail these guys would be making. Yeah. Yeah. The basis. <laughs> These guys would be the major computer geeks if they were around today. I mean, think about it. They would rule the world. <laughs> Technology. All right. Now, verse 52. al Pelishtim. And the war, Chazaka, was, Vatehi, uh, and the war was Chazaka, hard, upon Pelishtim, upon the Philistines. Kol Yemei Sha'ul, all the days of Saul. Now, notice he's kind of summarizing. Okay. Now notice you have this switch to a vav plus perfect. Okay, the kol ish gibor, vekol ben chayil. Now you have a vav consecutive. Vayas pehu elav. Okay, again, um, I'm suggesting that that vav plus perfect uh, is a signal that now we're talking about a habitual situation rather than kind of a specific event. Okay, and the context I think will help kind of confirm that. Um, so, notice how the sentence goes. The war was heavy upon the Philistines all the days of Saul. And Saul would and Saul would see any man okay, who was a gibor, who was a hero. Okay, and Saul would see any man who was a hero. And any ben Chayel, now notice this doesn't mean son of a powerful one. Notice that Ben, like Ish, is very often used in idiomatic phrases. Man of blood would be a bloodthirsty man. See, uh, uh, so here it's literally son of power, but we would call, say, call this a va- uh, valiant man. You know, uh, a synonym to Gibor, in other words. Okay, and he would gather him from Asa. Notice, Vayaaspehu, and he would gather him to himself. So notice you have these two vav clauses, and it would again the relationship between the two clauses, which is what you always have to ask yourself when you're translating, is probably one of like uh, temporal would work very well in English. See, so now when Saul would see any ishkibor, any heroic man, and or any valiant man, comma 
he would gather him to himself. In other words, he'd conscript him into his army because they had this battle against the Philistines going on. Okay? Does everybody see now, you know, out of context, the vera'ah could mean any number of things and could be translated in a number of ways. So you're really trying to figure out how, uh, what, you know, what meaning uh, to apply to it or what it's referring to in the context. Okay. And notice that you can use a Bach plus perfect, and once you kind of got to settle its habitual action, he uses a Bach consecutive imperfect uh, with a vayas pegu. All right. Sometimes you'll see them use imperfects kind of all the way through, uh, and here's an example where you don't have that. Okay. Um, any questions through 52? Uh, there's there's kind of reasons for that, I think, but. Um, we won't go into those today either. All right. Let's start with, uh, at least get started on chapter 15. By Yomer Shemuel El Shaul. Then Samuel said to Saul, Oti Shalach Yahweh Lim Shachaka Lamelech Al Amo Al Yisrael. Notice the word order. Me, Oti, that's the direct object marker. Me, Yahweh has sent. Lim Shachaka to anoint you. That is a call what? That Lim Shachaka. Call infinitive construct from Mashach. Okay? Notice, you know the famous word Mashiach to anoint. Here's the verbal root. Me, Yahweh has sent Lim Shachaka, Mashach, to anoint you, Lamelech, as king, Al Amo, over his people, Al Yisrael, over Israel. Vata. Shemalakol divre Yahweh. So now, Vata, Shema, call imperative, uh, listen to the voice of the divre Yahweh, of the words of Yahweh. Okay? Um, we'll, do, we'll do one more verse here. Uh, any questions through verse 1? Okay, verse 2. Koamar Yahweh Zavaot. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Pakatiet. Asher Asah Le Yisrael. Okay. Notice that this is a perfect. Okay. But Yahweh is referring to something he's going to do uh, in the future. So, well, some translations understand it that way. Okay. Um, and again, it's only the context that will tell you. You will see some translate, I will visit that which Amalek has done to Israel. Okay. Um, uh, and you know, notice what the context is. I'm just going to translate it like that now, preliminary. But notice that, remember, that's a rarer meaning of the perfect. You see it uh, in prophetic speech more commonly, right? And uh, you sometimes see it in narrative, in direct speech as well. And we've seen it before in Samuel. So just we'll, we'll um, do it at least preliminary like that. Okay? I will visit that. And again, you can even translate, I will punish that which Amalek has done to Israel. Okay? Asher Psalm Lo Baderek. I think you would translate now, who, Psalm, put himself in the way, Baderek. Ba'aloto, who put himself in the way in his going up from Egypt. You know, it's kind of sort out that and at least um, see 
uh, who's ref- being referred to by all these pronouns. Okay? I will punish what Amalek did to Israel. Now, Asher refer- refers to Amalek, who put himself, namely Amalek put himself, in the way, Ba'aloto, uh, when Israel was going up. Notice that this is a call infinitive construct, the bait is temporal. So the pronoun at the end of Aloto refers to Israel. When in Israel's going up, Mimitzrayim, from Egypt. So notice that Yahweh is talking about, remember in the book of Numbers, um, when Israel was ready to enter the promised land, they were supposed to go through and go through Edom and Moab and Anlech and they, the king's resistance. So that's what Yahweh is referring to. Okay? Um, any questions through verse 2? Matt will stop there and see what happens next week. When Israel is referred to you uh, as phenomenal suffix, is it always masculine? Sometimes it's feminine. Yeah, but here he's using masculine. And remember when you're, uh, especially in colloquial vernacular language, the tendency is to uh, neutralize the gender. So you will tend to refer to feminine. The, the tendency is to refer to feminine objects with masculine pronouns. Um, I don't know if you're making it up or not. I mean, I never say never because as soon as you I say, yeah, there's going to be one or two times. Mostly it's masculine, but there may be some feminine. <laughs>